Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This week's sponsor is Book of the Month Club again. Book of the Month Club is a service which I think is like the best thing ever, where you get to pick from five books each month uh, to get whichever one is your favorite. Book of the Month Club is offering Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books listeners an exclusive offer of signing up for just $5 for your first book. This is not to be missed. Bookofthemonthclub.com. Go check it out. And many of the books on this podcast have been Book of the Month Club picks. Uh, so go, just go buy them. Enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, for this exclusive offer. I just wanted to take this time to wish all of you a very, very, very happy Thanksgiving. I am so thankful for all of you listeners out there. You have no idea how much you have made my life happy by helping me spread the word about these amazing authors and books and joining me in my book-loving life. (laughs) So thanks for taking the time on your walks while you're doing the dishes, while you're at the gym or wherever you're listening to me. Thank you for putting me in your ears and uh, listening to what I have to say. It really just warms my heart and feel free anytime to reach out to me. Let me know what you think of this podcast. Let me say something nice. I don't know, whatever. My email is zibby at zibbyowens.com, Z-I-B-B-Y at zibbyowens.com. And again, have a really amazing Thanksgiving and I hope these episodes uh, carry you through this this wonderful week. I'm here today with Tori Maldonado, who is a middle school teacher and the author of Tight and Secret Saturdays. He was voted a top 10 Latino author and best middle grade and young adult novelist for African Americans. His book, Secret Saturdays, was highlighted in the New York Times as a top book by and about Latinos. He currently lives and teaches in Brooklyn, where he was born and raised. So welcome, Tori. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me here. So I have to say, Tori and I were just commiserating because I spent the day chaperoning a field trip, and he spent the day as a teacher taking his kids on a field trip, and it's the end of the day, so we are going to try to pump up our energy for this podcast. (laughs) Totally. I felt like a domino standing and teetering and almost about to fall at the end of the day. (laughs) I know. I like laid on the carpet in the living room, just like, I can't even get up. (laughs) The kids know too, because one of my sixth graders came up to me and said, how are you still standing? (laughs) (laughs) So funny. I don't know why. I mean, all we did was like pick pumpkins. I don't know. Just exhausting Mm -hmm. (laughs) managing all those kids. So I just finished reading your book, Tight, which was so good. Thank you. I mean, really. I thought I was going to read it with my kids, but I ended up just reading it myself because I didn't want to wait for them. I read them the first chapter, which they liked. And I was like, no, no, I'm not waiting. So it was great. Wow, thank you. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Tell us what Tight is about and what inspired you to write it. Awesome. I've been teaching for about 20 years, and I constantly hear slang that I say, yeah, that really describes the experience. And one of the slang words that I hear kids use, and adults use it too, is tight. And I feel that word's perfect to describe adolescence. You know, sometimes tweendom is tight. Tight means a lot of things, too. Like, you see, my students will look at each other's footwear and say, oh, you got those kicks? Those are tight, you know? Then you hear the converse. You hear people say, oh, get away from me. You're making me tight. So, so I thought you were going to say maybe the opposite was loose. Like loose. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> That'll be the next book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this dude, he just went from tight to loose. <laughs> so the boy, Brian, who's a, a sixth grader, he loves comics. He thinks comics are tight. He thinks drawing is tight. He has a tight relationship with his mom. He experiences other types of tightness. He has a sibling, a sister. And sometimes sisters could be awesome. Sometimes brothers could be awesome. But sometimes brothers could be big bothers. And so sometimes she gets him tight and angry. So siblings could relate to that theme. Also, sometimes money in his family is tight, and he really wants to have a tight friendship 
and that's the one piece that's missing. So we read, you know, and when we and we embark on this journey where he becomes tight with another boy, and then we learn that everything that glitters isn't gold, even though the boy is an honor roll student and he thinks, you know, you know, and he has adults thinking that he's a pretty tight, awesome kid. He is, however, he pushes Brian into tight situations where Brian has to figure out what to do that's right to make it tight good. I feel like one of the things that was best about this book was talking about how hard it is to know how to handle a situation that feels out of your control. So Brian feels peer pressured basically to do some things that he's not sure. He knows they're not right, but he wants, he feels like he should do them anyway. And you give readers and Brian the outlet to say like, no, I don't want to do that or think about how to do it or how to handle it. And I think that was, it's great. It's like, what do you do in those situations? Because every kid, and I'm sure all of us at some point or another have been in that situation. Mm -hmm. I get to meet lots of different adult groups and also student groups who know the book. And one of the things that I ask is, how many of you have been peer pressured? Or how many of you have done a dare? Or how many of you have been in a situation that you you know is tight and, and not right, but you stayed in that situation. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the honest adults will raise their hands. 100% of the kids raise their mm-hmm. hands. And so peer pressure is this perennial issue that we all go through. So the teacher in me wanted to write a book that gave kids a model of, if I'm ever in this tight situation, here's some other options. One of the things I like to say is, I also ask any adult group that I meet and any youth group that I meet, raise your hand if you wish you had a superpower. And everyone raises their hands. One person, one principal will say, I want to be the Flash because I can get all my work done, get all, all my stuff in my, you know, in basket to my out basket. That's the power I wish that I had too. <laughs> so I can write all the stories that I have in me. And we, we noticed that in the book, Brian, he admires certain heroes. He wants to be Batman because mm-hmm. Batman uses his head and thinks 10 steps ahead. And he wants to be Black Panther because thinks he's a thinker. Mm-hmm. And that's one way to respond to, to peer pressure. Think it through. Mm-hmm. Think about different choices. We notice his friend that he becomes tight with has a different way of reacting to situations. He tells him, you don't want to be Batman. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be T'Challa. You want to be Luke Cage, this brawny, muscly, unbreakable guy who solves things with his fists mainly. So I feel like there was this, this theme in the book of not wanting to be soft, right? It kept coming mm-hmm. up like, oh, you're soft. And the dad is, you know, doesn't want his kid to be soft. And he's, oh, you're not soft. And tell me a little more about, about that. Does that come up a lot? Like, is that a big thing with the students? Or is that just like the big fear of every sort of tween boy as he's getting older. Yeah. Frankie Valli in the 1940s had a song, Walk Like a Man, mm-hmm. Talk Like a Man. and Walk like a man. Right? You know, <laughs> if I had a nice voice like you, I'd probably sing it too. <laughs> and also, sometimes I do sing songs, and I've had students tell me, I will not Mr. Sing. T. I will not sing. <laughs> you know. No. And so I used to sing along to that song. And my dad sung it, and, you know, my mom sung it, and I didn't question the narrative of toxic masculinity in that song. I just, like a sponge, absorbed it. And as I got older, 
as a boy, I heard people tell me, man up. You know, I remember going home once and I wanted to impress my father because my father, he looked so dignified when he read. And I thought he's gonna walk through the door and he's gonna find me in our living room and I'm, hold, I'm gonna hold the newspaper. I was so small that the <laughs> newspaper was bigger than me, right? I probably was holding it upside down. And, and I, th I thought, wow, he's just gonna be really impressed. And when he walked through the door, he saw me reading and he snatches the paper and he says, you should be outside playing football. You should be outside running with the boys. So early on, like many boys left of me and right of me, I was being told there was one way to be a man, and that included being hard. Hmm. That meant not being soft. And I see it inside school. I've been teaching for 20 years. I've had girls say, oh, that's soft. I've, I've had males say, you know, you don't want to do that. That's soft. And I, I always say that one of the quickest ways to turn a boy away from doing something that could promote his growth and promote societal growth is to call that thing soft. You oh, why are you reading for? That's soft. So I explore softness and hardness inside tight. And, and the boy, he quietly interrogates this one-sided masculinity of the superheroes that we see in comics and film. Love it. You also address how to deal when your home life is chaotic and unpredictable, which many people face in one way or another, not necessarily the way that Brian's family was and with his father and out of prison and all the rest. But he has this one really lovely, peaceful evening with his family and you write, everything is chill and there's not an ounce of drama. I love it. I look out my window and realize something. I helped make this moment chill by what I chose. I think that over and over and I like that. Mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'll never forget when the, the ARC, the advanced reader copy mm -hmm. of Tight came out, and I was in Penguin Random House, and my editor, Nancy Paulson, she holds up the book, and she's, she always has a way of taking her finger and putting it right onto my heart and, and just saying things that are really heartfelt. And so she's just this first time I'm looking at the galley, at the ARC, and she holds it up and she looks at me and she says, this is you, isn't it? And I thought, yes. The book is largely autobiographical. And when I was growing up, my mom, she was my North Star and she still is. And one of the things that she loved to do was read and write. People ask me, they're like, who's your favorite writer? And I always say my favorite writer is my mom. She used to write in these spiral notebooks and then she would call me over and say, read this. And those moments were so chill. They were just so peaceful. They were so drama-free. And she would ask me, what do you think about what I wrote? And Tupac, Tupac has this, this lyric, this, not this, this line where he says, and suddenly the ghetto didn't seem so rough. Even though we had it tough, we had enough. It felt like the, the reading, the, the writing, those chill moments gave me the intangibles that I needed to survive very tangible roughness. And she used to take these books right after sharing them with me and put them in a file cabinet or stuff them in a drawer. She didn't share her writing with anybody else. And as I got older, I started to do something that I often tell people, kids will often be what they see. I started to emulate my mom. I started to imitate my mom. I, I, would, I would just, there are pictures of me at, um, 
football fields, on handball courts, in different places. And I have a book out and I'm writing. And it was this way of just infusing this chillness into the moment. It was very meditative, very contemplative, very reflective. And I became addicted to it so much that I had seeped up and absorbed so much of my mom's love of literacy that three books through Penguin Random House have overflowed out of me. So I hope I can do that to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it rubs Penguin off. Penguin Random House, if you're listening. Penguin. <laughs> Got four kids. Wait yeah. a few Look, years. No. You know, we often say to kids, you know, tell me who your friends are, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you who you are, and mm-hmm. your friends rub off on you. Family rubs off on us, too. And so my mom, she did that, and she rubbed off on me. So that's why you get these amazing, you know, warm scenes in tight where— the boy is just reading comics with mm-hmm. the other boy. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, chill. Or they're just drawing next to each other, and it's chill. Or the mom takes the boy from their housing projects mm-hmm. over to the Brooklyn Heights That's Promenade, nice. and they just have this chill moment. And the boy says in the book, he says, you know, this is a moment like you just read. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, you know. This is a moment I helped create. But when he's at the promenade, he says, this is a moment that I wish I could take back to my neighborhood and make that feeling stay. And I, I think all kids want that exhale. Mm-hmm. They want that sense of chill. You can't be wah right. and hyped all the time. I feel like reading is, I mean, it's escape no matter where you go, what you do. I mean, anything, anything you're dealing with, you just go right into it. Yeah. And writing is an and escape writing. too. Reading and writing. People ask me, what does writing mean to me? And I, still, I often tell them, I feel like I'm Tim Robbins in Shawshank Redemption. You know, and how he chipped his way mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I don't think it's an accident that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote a song called Wrote My Way Out. Mm. You know, writing is a pathway out of frustration, out of other issues, out of entrapments. And do you, do you must teach this to all your students? Oh, I can hear no. it. I can, like, see myself in your classroom. No, this thank you. must be what you thank do. You. <laughs> and it's so powerful to hear it from you, who's, like, had success writing, not just, you know. Yeah. You know, there's this saying that my mom, I joke because I I call my mom a Puerto Rican Yoda because Yoda would always say these cryptic riddles, but there was a real power and real meaning in everything he said. And my mom, she used to say these quotes and I thought that they were her quotes. And then I would run, find out in school, they weren't her quotes. And I'd run back to her and be like, ma. And she used to say, people will remember how they feel about you, not what you said. And I was like, that's true. So she would take me to, like Brian, mm-hmm. with his mom mm-hmm. and tight would take him away. My mom would take me to the promenade, to Brooklyn Heights for author visits. She would take me to Carroll Gardens. She would take me to different parts of Brooklyn, sometimes into Manhattan. And at the end of every author visit, she would ask me, how did you feel about the speaker? Mm-hmm. Not what I thought about the person. How did I feel? And if I said I was feeling the person, she knew it was good. It was a good visit if if I said I wasn't feeling the person and I remember the feelings that I got from Mm -hmm. being with these people so that goes into my teaching too because it can't be all information dumps Mm -hmm. and books sometimes can be heavy I grew up for a while I was a reluctant reader and it was because of a lot of reasons including the books were so informational and not sensational they weren't fun Mm -hmm. And I feel as if teaching needs to be like my books. Kids, I want kids at the end of the class to say, how come we can't have you for another period? And that's one of my measures of success. And that's what happens all the time. My students, 
Mr. T, you know, you're my favorite teacher, but don't tell the other teachers. <laughs> yeah. Another like concrete piece of advice I took out of your book was to de-escalate any sort of conflict situation to just say my bad and walk away. Mm-hmm. So I actually did that today. <laughs> yeah, high five. Yeah, I did. What's I up? did. I was like, I could, I could go either way, and instead, I was like, I'm just gonna say my bad and see how it works. Works great. <laughs> it does. Works great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for that. I, I have to, um, <laughs> thank you. And I and in this moment, we have to thank Nancy Paulson, my editor, for that. Because even though I grew up saying my bad, mm-hmm. and even though I say my bad when someone bumps into me or someone, you know, consciously or unconsciously transgresses, she's the one who said, you know how people use my bad? We might want to use this in type. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I have to tip my hat to her. She okay, looked that up. I'll, I'll tip my hat to her, too, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> So when and where do you like to write? Tell me a little bit about your process. Mm-hmm. There's this hip-hop song, and the hip-hop song has this, this like loop, and it's like, it's got to be funky, right? And then there's Janet Jackson. She has that like iconic sound blast where she's like, give me a beat. And it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a very well-known writer turn her head and look at me in shock at my answer. She asked me, where do you write? I said, I could write anywhere. I could write right here. I could write over there. I could write anywhere. And she said, really? You don't have a a place that you do it? For me, it's not an outer space. It's inner space. As long as I have instrumental music, I can write anywhere. Hmm. Um, Because I've been doing this for years. It has to be instrumental music. Because if it has words in it, then the words interfere with what I feel the character is trying to say. And then I actually end up writing those words. But if it's a, um, playing, I was like, you know what this scene needs? The scene needs to be slowed down. So let me find some slow instrumental music. And then I would write to that. And I was like, this scene, this scene has to feel like you are on a roller coaster. And woo! so I had to find something that was thumping and hard hitting and fast paced for that. And it wasn't until maybe about five years ago that I saw a video. It was on TV, it was like one of those MTV mm-hmm. quick info sessions. And a person came on and said, you know, top universities and colleges have been studying this for a while, that when you listen to music, it changes the biochemistry of your body and of your brain. And you got to be careful because if you listen to a slow song of a breakup, you're actually releasing the chemicals and you're reliving that memory and that experience. But if you are listening to a song that hypes you up, you are feeling those hype sensations. And it was like Roberto Flack, mm-hmm. you know? It's from, um, yeah. you know it, it, it was a Roberto Flack moment where singing my life with your words, it, it gave words to what I've been doing all along, you know, using music to change how I feel so that I could you know, change the feeling of the reading and the writing. So cool. So yeah. headphones? Mm-hmm. Always headphones. Yeah. Not just like you put it on like a... Yeah, because I don't want to offend anybody speaker. else. Well, maybe you're... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, obviously, if you're in a public place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just I just, just some, some headphones. Yeah. You know, it could be anything. I feel like you should put the playlist that you listen to when you write in the book at the end. Right? Like you could do a playlist for listen... For, you know, maybe people could put it on while they're reading. It's so cool that you said that because my first book has that playlist. Oh, really? Secret, oh, see, Secret Saturdays in the back. I'm sorry, I didn't read Secret Saturdays. I read tight and see, well, <laughs> yeah. this is why, you know, I should have read both, but, you know. Moms don't have time to read books. <laughs> no, 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 that's, really, that's on me, too, because Secret Saturdays was my first book. 
And, you know, speaking of music, there's this amazing soundtrack, Spider-Verse. And in Spider-Verse, the Spider-Man movie, mm -hmm. Miles Morales is in that. And in Tight, the boy talks about Miles Morales, and Miles Morales is, is a big thing inside Tight. There's this, this track, and in it, it says, I gotta go hard, you know, I gotta elevate. And my first book, I went really hard. Like, my first book... <laughs> I wrote a discussion guide that's in the back. I put the playlist in the back. I created Common Core lessons that, for all four major subjects. I put up on my website. I, I created a conflict resolution lesson. I created a quiz. I did all of this stuff. I did see that on your website. But then when it came to tight, I didn't do any of that. And it was so, you know, that's why you didn't see the playlist Got in it. tight. Because okay. with tight, I was like... And what about your next book? I got a sneak peek of your next book, mm -hmm. which looks amazing. Uh, what can you say you. about that publicly? I'm, What's I'm, it about and all that good stuff? I'm really excited because I'm mixed. And, and when I was growing up, I didn't have a book that I felt was fun, but also gave me tools to... And you mean mixed, mixed race? Yeah, mi okay. mixed race. And I, I didn't get tools to figure out how to navigate in a world that sees color. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I read adult books. You know, I was like, oh my God, you know, this book is amazing. But I know that my middle school kids, students wouldn't feel it. Mm -hmm. And so my, I challenged myself to write a high-paced, fun book that left kids seeing where people are divided and having a desire to heal those divides and bring people together. So what lane? You know, because we, we hear kids being told, stay in your lane. We even get told, stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. So the, the book is called What Lane? It's like, what lane is this mixed boy supposed to stay in? Yeah. And it's coming out May 2020. Yeah, it's came, coming out on, on um, Cinco de Mayo. Oh. May 5th. Perfect. I can't wait. That's I'm so, so excited about it. Big party plans? Something. You got to do something. I know. I know. I have friends who do launch parties. Yeah. And they like do these big things. Yeah. I've never done so, a launch party. Well, you have to like pair it with Cinco de Mayo now. Right. Now you have Not to. as Cinco People de Mayo. People are going to be wanting to have a party anyway. Definitely. So. People are ready to. Yeah. Yes. To. They just need an excuse. Yes. That's perfect. You're right. Yeah. The stars align. Stars align. Well, now you have to invite me. Now you don't have to. You. <laughs> yes, you are invited. <laughs> so tell me if you have, do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Mm, absolutely. You know, I can hear my students saying, Mr. T, comic books, comic books, superheroes, superheroes. You're always talking about comic books and superheroes. You know, superheroes are big. And I often say, you know, tell me which heroes you admire. Mm -hmm. And it tells me a lot about who you are on the inside or who you aspire to be. And I'm going to talk about writing advice that I feel is essential through a story about a superhero. I was writing tight. And I was experiencing writer's block. And I turned on the TV, and I was watching Daredevil on Netflix. And the second season, the very last episode, in the last 20 minutes, Karen Page, a reporter, is sitting at her desk, and she's staring at a screen, and she doesn't know what's right. Her boss walks in, and her boss says, what are you doing here? You know, it's, um, it's the holidays, the eve. You know, aren't you supposed to be home with family? And she said, I don't know what to write. He says, writer's block. And she says, yeah. And then she gives him some ideas, and he says, that's all garbage. And she says, well, but it, it's the news. Those are facts. And he said, yeah, but the facts have been reported already. The news has been reported already, that news. 
He said, and this is the piece of writing advice that just blew my mind so hard that I took my cell phone and I went up to the TV and I recorded it as it was happening. I still have it on my cell phone. He says, this is New York. And in New York, New Yorkers think they've seen it all. They think they know it all. They think they've heard it all. So you have to write what they haven't seen, what they haven't heard, and what they don't know. And she says, what is that? And he says, the truth, your truth. And you can't hold up back any punches. And anytime I hit writer's block, I would play that. And the reason is, I feel as a teacher, my job is to bring adults who don't know the interiority of young people, the inner worlds of young people, bring them into the world of young people so we could bridge that divide. And so I've been writing the truth that young people have been experiencing you know, and I've seen them experience for the 20 years I've been teaching. And I also mix it in with my truth that I experienced in my life. And I'd like to say one more thing about that. You know, I'll never forget, this is also tied to writing advice, I'll never forget that I was in the main office of my school once, and there was a woman who doesn't work there anymore. And she overheard me talking to a student. A student came in. Hey, Mr. T, what's good? I said, what's good? How, how are you? That's all I said. And... He said something else, and I said something else, then he left. And the lady said, Mr. T, you talk like that to kids? I said, what do you mean? And she said, he said, what's good? And you said, what's good? Then he said, how you? And you said, how you? It's how are you? And she was correcting me. And I, I, it hit me hard. I really, I, not only did she do it publicly, so I felt mm. defaced, but it hit me hard because it had me questioning, is there a right way to... Talk to young people. And Shakespeare has this saying, you know, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. The question is, the way you're speaking, is it a tool that is making rapport easier? And I once walked into a classroom and the teacher was reading a book and the kids were bored out their mind. And mm -hmm. I said, can I read this book mm -hmm. just for fun to mm -hmm. the kids? And the kids were like, yeah, Mr. T, read it. And the teacher said, I read it. And I read it and I code switched. And I peppered it and I seasoned it mm -hmm. with, the, with the slang that the kids use. And they said, you have to write a book. And she told me to. And she was like, you have to write a book. And that was a major push uh -huh. towards me writing Secret Saturdays. And, and, and then I realized something. I'm not the only person who code switches. You know, like you as a mom, you probably talk to your kids one way, but you will talk to your really good friend for two decades, a whole other way. Mm -hmm. You code switch. Mm -hmm. And I, re I remember watching Barack Obama's inauguration and he saw Jay-Z. He's like, hey, Jay, what's up? He saw Queen. He was like, Queen, what's good? And then he got on the mic and he sounded like mm -hmm. the president. Mm -hmm. Code switching is something that happens a lot in my books and young people love it. So my suggestion to a writer who's writing for young people, is figure out how do young people really speak and mirror that language? Because what you're going to do is you're going to bring adult readers into the world of young people that they can't understand without an urban dictionary. Mm -hmm. But also you're going to be letting young people feel refreshed that, ah, there's something here for me.
this book is in my language. And I get that a lot. A lot of times kids come up to me and they're like, Mr., this is how we speak. And, and it just makes me feel really good because I didn't see myself a lot growing up in books. So it really makes me feel good that young people see themselves in books and they, they feel that they matter and that they could be the center of a narrative. And then hopefully they'll go on and write other books. And it's like a whole thing. (laughs) It happens. And it happened. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts and your great advice and your really powerful experience and for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. This episode has been sponsored by Book of the Month Club. Bookofthemonthclub.com. Enter code Zibby to get your first book for just $5. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com. 